Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. It is so appropriate to rejoice in the nature of God's love that it is steadfast, uh, that God's love has been set upon us for my sake, not just since February the 19th, 1998, but uh, way back before time began and eternity passed, God's love was set upon me and God's love was set upon you, and I'm thankful for that today. And uh, the, if you want to learn to appreciate that more, just look, try to understand God's love through the nature of what, how man's love is and uh, how different they are. In other words, men may love you one day, and the next day you're all right, and the next day, you know, it's kind of it's back and forth, it's not steadfast, you can upset people, their feelings and, and intentions towards you change and falter, but God's are not like that. His love is eternal, and His love... We are secure in Him, and I'm grateful for that today, and certainly that is something to rejoice about. If you ever want to see the clearest distinction of God's love, the clearest manifestation of God's love, look to Christ. We have so many blessings all around us, a wife, a husband, whatever you thank God for, whenever you begin to thank God for your blessings, those may be the things that come to your mind, the children, the home, and, and yes, we thank God for those blessings, but those are not the clearest manifestations of God's love for us and God's care for us. The clearest manifestation of God's love was in Christ Jesus, a Savior and a Redeemer that He sent for you and I. We should be eternally grateful for Him. The fountain that He provided at Calvary, I love, that's probably one of my favorite hymns, that picture given. I think about, it mentions the thief, and uh, it alludes to how thankful he must have been to realize there was a fountain that day. He was hanging beside Christ on the cross. He had, I mean, just imagine Him realizing there is a fountain where all of His sins could be washed away. And uh, I'm thankful for that picture, thankful for the fountain of cleanliness that we have in Christ's blood where we can be washed and made clean. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 2, and as you find your place, uh, for those that may be visiting with us today, we've studied since Christmas about the, the boyhood and early days of Christ. I, myself, as I began to uh, meditate and study upon what to preach following the Sundays after Christmas, I was stuck on uh, those days following the Lord's birth and how many times I don't think those scriptures are emphasized or I've shared the example a lot of times kind of we treat those verses I think like we put up our Christmas tree put out the decorations Christmas comes and goes and once we do once it does we put those decorations up well I think a lot of times we uh, do the same thing with Jesus's boyhood but the scripture does give us some insight into what happened the days after he was born the the day after that, that wonderful moment, and that's what we've been looking at. And this uh, study today in Luke 2 will conclu- conclude those, that line of thought as we look at an instance here when Jesus was 12 years old. We looked in Matthew's account and looked at the things he shared, and now we've been in Luke's account. And uh, we'll conclude those thoughts this morning as after Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 closes, the Bible is silent as towards the next 18 years of Jesus' life. And what exactly took place, we don't know, and most people just say, and I think it would be accurate, that he just lived with his parents and helped Joseph do carpentry work and grew up without any significant, uh, out-of-the-ordinary things taking place in his life. But if you will, this morning, stand with me as we read these verses of Scripture. Luke chapter number 2, verse Begin reading verse 41, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Where the Bible says this, Now his parents, this is Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, 
went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity to gather together as your people. Lord, thank you for salvation today, God. Thank you for the songs that have been sung and how they remind us of your love for us and how that was manifested for us in a provision for our salvation, God, our deliverance from sin. God, thank you for the hope that you give us in this world, Lord. Thank you for the fact that this world is not it for us. God, that we as your children, we as those who follow you, God, have a much brighter and a much more glorious day to look forward to. God, we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you'd use this time of study today, this time of preaching, Lord, to help us to mature in our faith. God, I pray that the power of God would be at work, Lord, that you would speak through me this morning, God, to the individual hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that, uh, God, that people would feel as if the sense the voice of God speaking to them, not just my voice, but Lord, the, your word today would go forth with authority and power, and God, you'd use it to transform lives, Lord, to begin to mold us and shape us further into the image of Christ. Lord, if there's a soul here today that's lost, God, I pray for their salvation, Lord, that they would grab a hold of the fountain, Lord, that they would plunge in that fountain themselves, God, so that they can be washed clean. I'm thankful that no matter what their story is and what their background might be or how dirty they may feel, God, that fountain is pure enough and it's able to wash them clean, whiter than snow. And God, we're grateful for that reality this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the steadfast nature of it. God, just pray that you'd use your word and through all that's said and done in this service today that you would get glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. And I'm going to ask a question and I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. So if this, if, if this applies to you, then please do raise your hand just for, from really for my sake, for everybody else's sake. Is there anybody here that's 12 years old? Just, I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand so that we can have an image of Jesus' physical stature and nature of where he's at. Well, that's unfortunate. I was hoping that we would have a 12-year-old. <laughs> anyway, so we probably have some kids here that's around that age. So to give you a picture, I, I wanted to do that to put a picture in your mind of, of Jesus, where he's at in life, the stage of life in which he is at. He is, of course, he's the Son of God. He's our Redeemer, but he is also would have been a very... Uh, normal boy, he would have he would have looked like boys in their day would have looked like. He would have he would have been a part of their culture, a part of what they did. He was. We see him here in a little bit of his family life. So we, uh, I think we lose sight of that sometimes. Yes, he's the son of God. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And as we look at him as a twelve year old boy, I think that's a, a powerful reminder of that fact. Oftentimes, I think when we if you're ever using a 12-year-old boy as an example of learning something, it usually goes something along these lines. 
is a 12-year-old does something and you say, this is what you don't want to do. Usually that's how we learn from 12-year-olds. They don't often have set great examples. They often make poor decisions as they're growing and maturing. Their judgments are not often great, and sometimes that don't change very quickly after 12 years old, but a lot of times they don't set the standard of behavior. And so the question might be arisen this morning, what, what can you learn from a 12-year-old boy? Well, you can learn a lot from a 12-year-old boy when that 12-year-old boy is Jesus. We see here what's taking place in these verses. Verse number 41 is the time of the Passover. John MacArthur explains that this, the Passover, of course, is a one-day feast, and immediately after that follows the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's instituted in Exodus 12, and leaven was put in bread, and as it baked, it took time, but it's what helped the bread to rise. Well, when Israel was leaving Egypt, they were commanded to make this, this feast was implemented as a reminder that they left in haste, as a reminder of God's deliverance, a reminder how God remembered where they were, remembered what they were going through, and God brought them out of Egypt. And that's what's taking place here. That's the context of what they're celebrating, why they're going to Jerusalem. These feasts were implemented, and uh, those that of Jewish descent would follow these festivals, these religious feasts that God had implemented. And so in that, we're still seeing, as we've been witnessing all throughout the life of Jesus after his birth, we've been witnessing the devotedness and faithfulness of Joseph and Mary as they continue to live out their faith by observing these religious festivals, by continuing to serve and, and honor God. And you'll notice here that Mary and Joseph have their son. They're raising him in the way that, that he is seeing their faith. They are raising their child here in a way that he is witnessing an example of faith by watching his parents. And I think here there's a challenge here for parents in the way that raising your child, having this son that Mary and Joseph had did not cause them to neglect their relationship with God. It did not cause them to put their relationship with God on the back burner, but they've continued to serve God and they brought their child into this. And now as a family, they're serving God alongside of each other and what's serving God for them looks like maybe different for us in that we don't go to Jerusalem to worship or to, to recognize and to carry out these feasts. But what I'm telling you this morning is I think the picture of the family is given here that Mary and Joseph are serving God and they have their son there with them, a child that God blesses you with. I know, or I don't know, but I, I'm certain that with a child comes responsibility beyond imagination, uh, becomes a busyness, their, child's are their children are involved in a lot of different things. But what I'm seeking to tell you this morning is that those things should not interrupt your relationship with God. They should not interrupt the way that you seek to carry out your faith in God. Live out your faith, continue to serve God, and let your children see that as they follow your life and walk in your example. Everything that comes along with a child is not a reason to crowd God out of your life. But your children should come into that fellowship, should come into that walk of faith that you live and walk alongside of you and learn from your example. Day's journey, as it's referred to here, as Mary and Joseph, they go into Jerusalem. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, verse number 42, is 12 years old. They go to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. They fulfilled the days, so that week long, and they return. So they, they gather up and they begin to leave. And you're thinking, well, I'm thinking it's a bad day when you lose a child. It's a very bad day when you lose a child and that child is Jesus. And that's what happens to Mary and Joseph. They leave, and you may wonder how, they, it's Mary and Joseph and Jesus. How did they leave somebody in Jerusalem? Well, they would have traveled in a 
caravan. They would have traveled in a crowd of people because it would have been a journey. They wouldn't loaded in their car, of course. They're walking, and so for safety reasons, they would have traveled with people who lived around them where they were in Nazareth. So they're in a crowd of people. I read that most of the time men were probably walking at the back. Mary and, and women were at the front. So Mary's probably thinking, well, Jesus is probably in the back with Joseph. And Joseph's probably thinking, well, Jesus must be in the front with Mary. And in the midst of it, Jesus is not there at all. And there could be a note said about good communication between a husband and a wife and how that can cause issues when there's not good communication there. But the, I read in studying that a day's journey was about 20 miles in one of the study Bibles I was reading. So they travel about 20 miles and they begin to... to realize or look for Jesus in verse number 44. The Bible tells us, as I was explaining, they supposed him to be in the company. So, somewhere in the midst of the crowd of people they're traveling with, they assumed that Jesus was there. They go a day's journey, and then they began to look for him. And they realize he is, he's not there. So then they go back like any good parents would, and they begin to look for Jesus. And in that, when, when Jesus comes back into the picture after they've left and gone back to Jerusalem and find Jesus, that's where we begin to learn our lessons from him. I began to draw lessons for our life through this 12-year-old boy that we know is Jesus. And it's, I think, worth noting this morning to keep in mind that this is the only record that we have of these days of Jesus' life. You'll find that there's extra biblical sources that will write stories and tell narratives about Jesus performing miracles as a, as a young boy, that Jesus done all these, uh, these miraculous things. But according to John chapter number 2, it tells us as it's beginning to tell us about the uh, Jesus turning water into wine, that that was the beginning of Jesus' miracle. So we, from that, infer that Jesus as a 12-year-old boy just lived as any other 12-year-old boy in their culture and in, his, in, in the context of his family would have lived. He did not perform miracles during that time. According to John 2, his first miracle was the turning the water into wine. But then as we began to ponder these verses this morning, I just want to highlight a few things we can learn from this 12-year-old boy named Jesus. And I think these things apply today, whether you're a young child around the age of 12 today or whether you're an adult. So look with me in verse number 46. So they arrived back in Jerusalem after three days. So they traveled a day. I mean, they had to take another day to travel back, and they've probably spent another next part of the day trying to find where Jesus is. They're retracing their steps, I'm sure, trying to Find out where he is. And verse number 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. The Bible says all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. You see, the term here referred to doctors refers to teachers, people who would have worked in the temple, who would have been incredibly wise as to the Scripture, to what the Old Testament taught. These individuals would have been very very smart, but Jesus, while he is waiting on his parents, Jesus, as he would explain later, is about being about his father's business. Jesus is there, and Jesus is partaking in a discussion with them. He's asking, or he's being asked questions, and he's providing answers. And the Bible gives us this note that all that heard him, these teachers, these doctors, these experts in the law, these experts in the Old Testament, Jesus is amazing as a 12-year-old boy about his wisdom of the scriptures, his wisdom of their uh, religious feasts and festivals that they kept, they're astonished and they're amazed. And so my 
application for your life, the application for my life this morning, I present to you in a question and ask, would anyone be amazed at your understanding of scriptures? Would anyone be amazed at my understanding of scripture? Or you might, might ask you like this, would you have been able to participate in this discussion? Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. Jesus is able to participate in, provide valuable comments towards this discussion with religious leaders. A lot of times in our life, I think we, we give diligence towards a lot of things. I understand we, we have school and God gives you direction for your life. And a lot of that includes usually some kind of training, some kind of school. And we dedicate ourselves to these things. We have other interests and other hobbies that we seek to learn more about, to know and, and to, be, to be very knowledgeable about. But a lot of times in that, we neglect knowing the Scriptures. A lot of times in that, we don't think about if we can... Uh, explain our faith, if we understand what happens through the Gospels, if we can understand what happened when Christ died at Calvary and how that leads to our salvation. And a lot of times we brush that stuff off, but I think the Scripture this morning challenges us and reminds us that we need to learn the Scriptures. We need to know what the Bible says and what it teaches. Of course, our faith is about more than just knowing the Scriptures. It's about living those out, but you can't live out what you do not know. And if we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, it is our basis for our faith and our practice, then it only makes sense this morning that we know the Scriptures. And that's not, you're not just going to wake up one day and know a lot more about the Bible then than you did the day before. It's something that you have to be intentional about. It's something you have to give effort toward. It's like if you want to learn how to do anything with a car, if you want to learn anything about fitness and health, whatever it is that interests you that you learn more about, maybe you read stuff about it. Or you want to learn a new skill and you, maybe you're into whatever it might be, sports, and you want to know more about them, how you can be better at them. You're going to read, you're going to practice, you're going to do those things. Well, a lot of times we don't do any of that in relation to learning the Scriptures. We're hoping it's just kind of going to be uh, something that indirectly adds to our life, but it's not, not going to work that way. Dr. David Jeremiah explains, by the time Jewish boys were five, they would have begun to read the Scriptures aloud, including Leviticus the book of ceremonial laws that explain how devout Jews should perform their various religious observances. By age 12, they knew the Psalms and were instructed in the basics of Hebrew law and history. So whether you're a 12-year-old boy or not, could you have participated in this discussion? We need to be a biblically literate people. We need to know what the Scriptures say. And I will seek to do that in my preaching ministry here to help you help myself to grow. But it's just like anything else. If you apply yourself for 30, 45 minutes on a Sunday morning and that's the extent of it, then your, your knowledge of the Scriptures is going to not be what it needs to be. So as Jesus sets the example, we need to learn the Scriptures. But also a very, very powerful statement Jesus provides when His parents come back. You can imagine... I just imagine my mom, if I had, she had lost me for three days, she comes back, she finds me. I can just imagine, honestly, she'd probably be more mad at me than anything. Um, and hopefully she don't watch this service. But um, verse number 48, when they saw him, they were amazed. And so even Joseph and Mary come, they're amazed at what's taking place. And she's there and ask the question, why, why do you deal with, why did you do this to us? Why didn't you come in the crowd? She's almost getting on to him, if you will. 
He says, she says, explains, me and your dad have been, we've been, as we might say, we've been worried sick about you. We've been looking for you for three days. We've been worried sick. Why would you do this? Why did you not join the crowd? And then Jesus' powerful statement, he says, well, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not, as the King James says, that I must be about my father's business. And then the other versions The NLT, for example, puts a footnote that says, in other words, another way to phrase this says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? That's how some versions translate it, and some will explain this to me. Didn't you realize that I should be be involved in my father's affairs? The CSB has a footnote on this phrase that says, be involved in my father's interests or things. Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, and this gives us some insight that he knew He knew who He was. He knew His identity as the Son of God. He's saying here, ultimately, yes, He loves His parents, and as we'll learn, He submitted it to His parents, but ultimately, Jesus was about His Father's business. Jesus made the interest of His Heavenly Father His own interest, even as a 12-year-old boy. A lot of people that's much older than 12 years old are not living about their Father's business. A lot of people who are much older than Jesus are in these verses are not concerned about their Father's interest. In fact, a lot of times, the older we get, the more we seem to only be concerned about our own interests, the things that pertain to our life, the things that we want to be involved in, and we forget a lot about what the Father would have us to do. But the aim and the goal of our life is to be about our Father's business, to do what God would have us to do, to be concerned with His interest, to be involved in His affairs, and to live out our life for His sake. And that's what Jesus is saying He is doing. Jesus was not... Just trying to make life hard on his parents. Jesus wasn't just being rebellious towards his parents, but Jesus was teaching them a lesson that ultimately he was here to do what God wanted him to do. And that's the way that you and I must live. A powerful lesson that Jesus teaches us. A lot of times I think children are, their hearts are more humble, their hearts are more sensitive to the work of God in their life, a lot of times as we get older, we become more and more about our business, more and more about our affairs, more and more about our, the things that interest us and less and less concerned about what does God want me to do? What is my father's business and how can I be involved in it? So again, even as a young boy, Jesus is teaching us a powerful lesson, be involved in what God would have us to do. That as we seek to carry out our life, we do so in a way that honors him and to do what he'd have us do. And I think there's a, something here for parents as well to, to, not, to be careful not to discourage your children from being about their father's business. A lot of times, as Mary and Joseph are learning, for your children to be about their father's business may not be easy for you to accept. It may not be what you would choose for them. Mary and Joseph, of course, they're upset. They didn't understand what was going on. But, of course, Jesus doing what God wanted him to do. So I think there's a lesson here for parents that sometimes when your children, if they truly give themselves to their father's business, their life may begin to look a way that you wouldn't have chosen for them. And their life may go a direction that you probably, you maybe not have chosen for them. So be careful in those instances not to discourage them from being about their father's business. And then probably the biggest amen I'll probably get in my ministry at Sulphur Springs, Jesus as a young boy lived in subjection or submission to his parents. So every parent in here says, Amen, preacher. So the Bible says in verse number 50, they did not understand the saying which he spake unto them. But then 
The Bible says he did, he did go with them back to Nazareth, and the Bible says he was subject unto them. And it's interesting to know that Mary, his mother, kept all these things in her heart. She's pondering all this stuff, I think realizing something, something amazing and significant is going on. But of course, in the Ten Commandments, the fifth one, you'll find that it's commanded of us to honor our father and our mother. The, to read it from Exodus 12, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's in Exodus 20, 12, and there's other references in Deuteronomy given where the Ten Commandments are restated. Being submissive and being respectful towards our parents is not just a cultural thing. This morning, I don't want to sound like I'm just uh, beating a dead horse, so to speak, but here's a biblical, biblical foundation to stand on for subjection to our Parents. It's not just a cultural thing that we appreciate, that parents appreciate, that parents probably often remind their children of. It's not just those things. It's a biblical commandment and expectation that we honor our father and our mother. And young people, I understand that as you get older, naturally that oftentimes becomes more difficult. But if you want to find a way to live out your faith, as even a child, the way that you treat your parents is a great way to live out your faith. You can make little moments, moments where you are growing and maturing in your faith by being subjection, by living in subjection to your parents. What this might look like is if your parents ask you to take out the trash. And you do so, but you keep the mindset in place and you, in the forefront of your mind you're realizing you're not just doing this because your mom and dad had asked you to, you're doing this as an, as an act of faith, that you're honoring your father and mother because not just because they've asked you to do this, not just because they might take away your phone if you don't do this, but because this is what God has asked you to do. So you take it off the plane of just an earthly thing, but you do these things so that you are honoring your father and mother as God has commanded you to. So even in that moment, as a, as a, as a son or a daughter, you are carrying out and living out your faith. You're applying the Scriptures to your life. And again... I hope my mom don't listen to this because I didn't always do these things. So she might come and tell on me. But it's a small example of how this can, how the scriptures guide and direct our life. Live in subjection to your parents. And John MacArthur, he explains that we see in this aspect as to how Jesus carried out a perfect life. In Jesus' submission to his parents, we see, we know that we have salvation in Christ because he is perfect righteousness. And when we are saved and we put our faith in Him, He takes His perfect righteousness and He places it upon our life. He puts it in our account and He has answered for our sin at Calvary. That is the nature of salvation. That's the transaction that takes place so that we stand guiltless before God. And Jesus' submission to His mother and His Father is an example of His perfect righteousness. Meaning this is the way that we are to live. To live under the authority and Leadership of our parents. And here, this is not just a, a truth for children to grasp a hold of. It's not just a challenge to children, but I think it's a challenge for parents as well. Because as a parent, are you living, are you living in a way, are you seeking to, to guide your children in a way that your children are, better, are spiritually better off by submitting themselves to your leadership? What, what are your children gaining by thinking highly of you? 
by carrying out God's command here to live in submission? Are your children spiritually better off? Are you leading them and guiding them in a way that honors God and that points them to their Redeemer? And then finally this morning in verse number 52, I would say we learned this lesson from Jesus to be concerned about our personal maturity and advancement. The Bible says, so if you look at verse 52 as a summation between these days as Jesus is a 12-year-old and when Luke 3 picks up or any of the other Gospels pick up will be when John the Baptist comes on the scene. And at that point, Jesus is 30. So the close of Luke 2, at the close of verse number 52, a span of 18 years passes. But in that time, the Bible says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. The word increase means to advance or progress. It originally spoke of a pioneer who was cutting his way through, through brush and cutting a trail. This verse number 52 alludes heavily to the humanity of Christ, that as he, he's growing here, he's growing in all the ways that we grow. He's growing mentally, he's growing physically, he's growing spiritually, and he's growing socially. A lot of these things are... Uh, well, physically, especially growing in stature is beyond our control. That's something we can't really increase or decrease. That's as, as God has ordained it. But the Bible says it grew in favor with God and with man. So he's growing spiritually. He's growing in his understanding of God. He's growing in his relationship of God. Again, this is in his humanity. The question that comes to my mind based off of that is, are you and I growing spiritually? Are you and I becoming, are we growing in favor with God? Are we pursuing our relationship with Him? Are we developing our faith with Him? Are we becoming more like Christ as we seek to honor His Word and carry out the commands, the wisdom that God has given us in His Word? A lot of people may look at their life today and they could look at their life five, ten years ago, and spiritually is concerned, they're the exact same spot. There's, no, there's been no growth. There's been no advancement in Christ's likeness. There's been no sanctification. And yes, God, His Spirit working in us is what produces that change, that Christ-likeness, but is there any application on your part, any effort on your part in pursuing Christ, reading His Word, praying, and doing the things that we know God would have us to do so that we can mature and grow in favor and in our relationship with the Lord. Many, many people, I think, would say, yeah, but this is Jesus. What else would you expect? I mean, of course he's going to be the perfect son. Of course he's going to do all the things well that we should be doing, but are we not supposed to follow his example? If Jesus knew the Scripture as a 12-year-old boy, then I, what I'm saying this morning is we should know the Scripture. If Jesus was submissive to his parents, even as a 12-year-old boy, then we should live submissive to our parents. If Jesus was growing spiritually, then we should be growing spiritually. If Jesus was about his Father's business, then you and I need to live about our Father's business. Jesus is a model for us. Don't get me wrong, he is much more than just an exemplary life to follow after, to pursue as an example. He is much more than that, but we do seek to live according to the example he set because he lived the perfect life. So yes, even at 12, and whether you're here today and you're 82 or whether you're 22, we can learn from Jesus' 
as a 12-year-old boy. If you will, this morning, I'll ask you to stand if our musicians would come around and begin to and prepare, prepare a song of invitation. If you need to respond to the word of the Lord this morning in this immediate context, I want to give you the opportunity to do so as you've studied and looked at the example of Jesus. Maybe you realize that you have not, you're not living out the fifth commandment, the example of Jesus like you should in relation to your parents. And I understand there's a lot that goes into those relationships. There's a lot of dynamics, a lot of things that happen in a home, but nonetheless, the truth's still the same. The commandment's still the same that we are to honor our father and mother. And if you feel like you're failed miserably at that, then God has spoken to you this morning. God has given you a word. I'd encourage you to respond to that. Are you intentional in your efforts to know the scriptures, to grow in wisdom about what God teaches us in his word? Are you, do you know that you need to be more about your father's business, that you, have not, you don't give yourself enough to what God wants you to do? You're more concerned about your own interests, your own your own life, your own plans, and you don't give any regard to what God wants you to do or what God would have you to do. Well, through Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, God has confronted these areas of your life. If you need to respond as Mark comes around to lead us in a song of invitation, I want to encourage you to do so. Be obedient to him if he's dealt with your heart. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.